Although we just read the whole chapter, we won't be focusing on one verse tonight. Namely, verses 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So basically the big idea is simply receiving the word as from God, receiving the word as it is, which is from God. There's two major points looking at the contrast that Paul would have put up. Looking at the fact that they didn't receive it as the word of men, but as it really is the word of God. So first the word of men, and that's the word of God. Very simple outline. And lastly, the word that works in believers. So let's begin looking at the word of men. Now, uh, just an exegetical note of from my studies and from listening to other preachers. Apparently the but here when it speaks about how they didn't receive it as word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. This but apparently is the most aggressive or strong um, adversative in the Greek. So there's a huge contrast being made between the word of men and the word of God. So there's a stark difference. But before we get into the huge differences, I want to look at the word of men and some positive things about the word of men before we get into what I think is really the focus here. The word of God speaks about men's words in many ways. It speaks of them in bad ways and good ways. But word of men does have power. Um, the Proverbs speak often about how a good word, a sweet word is a mar to the bones. Obviously it's not saying it's literally every speak good verses in one day would no longer have bone cancer or anything like that. But when we speak kind words to people, it is encouraging. We do see the power of words and how we speak to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we speak to anybody really. When we encourage them, when we say something nice to them, it does change things. It does do something. So words of men do have impact. It's not something that's irrelevant. The contrast that I'm going to make here is not to say that men's words are holy without power and it doesn't mean anything to anybody. But obviously when we get into it, we see that there's still a huge contrast. But just to set out, I'm not here to say that we shouldn't care about what we say to people because it ultimately doesn't matter, because that would be wrong and foolish. We should be very careful about how we speak, um, both in when we rebuke and when we encourage. Words of men do matter. Yet, still, the word of man is a temporal word. When we speak as people, um, we are not like God. We don't speak eternally. We are temporal in ourselves and finite in ourselves. So when we speak, we speak temporally. Even the good things that we say, even the things that we want to see happen, they don't have power in themselves to create or to make them come through. Um, I think of one of the famous speeches that we know of. I've heard begin the speech. Some of us have probably stop it when a certain person said, I have a dream. Uh, I think in many ways that dream has not been fulfilled. But we can see that although there are powerful words from men, very inspiring words from men, they have no power in themselves. We think of great writers and philosophers. We think of... Well, I don't know if you know all these people, but Socrates was known as a great orator, a man who believed in the, in the spoken word. He would debate it and said that the spoken word, um, to some degree, is even more powerful than the written word. Um, there's Cicero, or, yeah, Cicero and um, writers like Gerard Tolkien. I know some of our brothers and sisters in here like the writings and the worlds that are created by this brilliant writer, C.S. Lewis. Um, these guys were brilliant. When we th- see the type of craftsmanship, and I mean, there's a joke being said that there was a backstory of the leaves in Gerald Tolkien's writings. Like every single thing had some backstory that was deep and very descriptive. So these are beautiful, good things. I mean, another big one we could know is, I guess, um, 
what's his name now? Um, Shakespeare. I think he's not famous one, right? So these are <laughs> these are all beautiful, big, good, um, impressive writers and orators that the words had impact and that were nice. But ultimately, even although we know the names of these men, many people don't. You know, it's a young um, person now who's. <laughs> Shakespeare was, they wanted to be talking about an alcohol, uh, some sort of beer, I'm not sure. Um, but ultimately, what I'm trying to put here is that although these are beautiful things, things that we can appreciate, and I think that God has given us to appreciate and to be inspired by, they don't have the same power as the word of God. Let's look at something else. Let's look at the, the words of men that men trust and men look to. We think of the philosophers of the, the past, and I think these philosophies are not something that is new to man in any generation. I think these things came from the, the garden itself when Satan would have lied to Adam and Eve in thinking that a word beside the word of God was something to depend upon. We think of great philosophies and ideologies like hedonism. The idea that we live for ourselves to eat and drink and be merry as it were and for tomorrow we die. We can think about nihilism. The idea that nothing matters ultimately. We are all, everything is purposeless so we live our lives as if it is purposeless. And these are the type of philosophies that govern many people's lives. We can think about, um, I'm not going to go into deep um, discussions about these ideas and where they come from, because optimism is another philosophy. Apparently, um, from my understanding, optimism was something that Christians were. It was the idea, basically, that truth could be known, but I'm into that. I just want the normal, shallow understanding of optimism that we have, where people just try to have positive vibes and positive thoughts. They live their lives, not want to get down. You know, they want to have positive vibes, good vibes, so they live their lives in such a manner that they're not, they don't try to think about the negative things in life. They don't want to think about the harshness in life and the, the, the hard things, but they want good vibes. So when you come around them, speak good things, speak positive vibes, speak a, a word of life. As some spoke, a word people would speak about, some word of faith people would speak. Speak life, not death. I'm not going to really debate that tonight, looking at the misuses of the scriptures, but just thinking about different words of men that people have, um, the good and the bad. So for us as believers, when we think about the word of men, um, we could appreciate that God has given us um, the beauty of the craftsmanship of brilliant orators. We also see that there are philosophies and ideologies from men that we as human beings could be inclined to trust in because of our sinful state, whether it be the hedonism idea, or the nihilism idea, or the optimism idea, or the, the whatever other philosophies of men. Um, one that comes to, me, come to mind for me uh, of a great orator and a philosopher of this day um, is a guy named Jordan Peterson. Some of us know him. And this is a guy that even for us Christians, there are many things that we could agree with. He has a very conservative worldview. Um, when he thinks about reality, he appreciates the need for an objective morality, although he gets to that conclusion from a pragmatic, stand, a pragmatic standpoint. He has a utilitarian idea of morality. So it, morality was something that sprung up after millions and millions of years of society being what it is. And then we kind of began to understand the necessary structures for society to, to happen consistently. Um, so these are the type of things that really encourage people. Um, he has many stories about how he would have said these speeches and many young men in particular would have come to him crying, speaking about how it took them out of dark days. And I think he wrote a book called um, The Twelve, Twelve Rules for Life. See, I think you wrote a book as well. He read a book or something. Twelve Rules for Life. Um, so this is, this is the contrast I'm trying to make. The, there are words of men that we as human beings want to trust in. We, we look for something to hope in. We look for something to, to, to determine that our life should be by. 
Something that I found interesting in the contrast that Paul made is that he said, you didn't take it as the word of men, but it truly is the word of God. There's an there's a underlying assumption about that statement. It assumes that if one were to know that it's a word from God, they should do something about it. It is as if he's saying, well, it is not the word of men, so, so if you took it as the word of men, there might have been a different response. What is it about the, the word of God? What is it about... Rather, what is it about the word of man that would make it something that we can ultimately trust in? Why is it that there is this belief, that this underlying assumption that the apostle is making that if one were to take something as the word of God, it would be different than if they took it as the word of man. And I don't think that he is just speaking here as if they were believers. Assuming then that just because you're believers, it matters as the word of God. I think... This is like Romans 1, where it's speaking about the reality that people know that there's a God. There, there's a reality that if one were to come to the conclusion that, it is from the word, that, that there's a God, and that God speaks, we should do something about it. I, I think that there's a, a truth that no matter how inspired we are, no matter how much authority or inspiration we, we gather from the words of men, we know that because men are not the ultimate authority, we can dismiss it. There's something about the temporal nature of the words of men that allows us as human beings to be comfortable with dismissing it. Even if it is that we ourselves were to look at you know, the Dalai Lama or any other guru of the world and say we want to live by this philosophy, we in the back of our minds, or they in the back of their minds rather, as the world, know that they can dismiss it. There's no ultimate authority in man. Particularly in our relativistic world right now where I have my truth and you have your truth. If it is that I say that I believe something, I can change my mind tomorrow. If it is that I say that I follow any particular person, any particular philosophy, any particular um, ideology that was man-made, I can dismiss it. So I think that we as human beings find shelter, find some sort of comfort in the relativistic worldview that is often in the West and I think it's all over the world that try to trust in men's word, try to trust in the ideologies of men's world, men's word, sorry. Um, I think obviously there's a sincerity to it. Many people have a utopian idea of how the world should be and propose many ways that we can get there. Some people trust in politicians. Um, some people trust in um, great thinkers like Elon Musk, who are technological guys who will find a way to get us off this planet and have resources in some other place. The point is that we, we trust and we think about many ways in which as human beings um, to, to have a life of peace, to have a life that we could be comfortable with, to, to have a rule that comes from ourselves, that we can find within ourselves um, to trust in. But we ultimately find out, or we ultimately know, that these things don't have the power necessary for what it is that we want, the peace that we want. The joy that we want from hedonism, the peace of mind that we want from saying that nothing matters so we can live the way we want to live. The inspirational words that take up out of our temporal dark days like the words of Jordan Peterson. These things are still temporal and weak in nature. Um, no matter how good they sound, no matter how inspirational they are in the moments, they don't have power in themselves to make change happen. Um, so we need something greater, namely the word of God. There are many things that can be said about the Word of God. I mean, we can look at the Word of God as the scriptures that we have right now, inspired by God, that we have for this day and age. I could go into the perspicuity of scripture, the inerrancy of scripture, and that sort of stuff. But that's not the angle I'm going to take it from today. I see from the scriptures and the contrast of being made 
and from what was said earlier about the power of God um, in the words of the gospel that was accepted by the Thessalonians, something different. I see it focusing on the power of God in salvation. I see it focusing on the nature of God's eternal word. So we'll look at some of that right now. The word of God. The eternalness and the immutability of the word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 25 speaks about how God's word remains, the Lord's word remains forever. Unlike the word of men that is temporal, God's word is forever. We as believers who profess not simply to understand because we are like any man who the scripture says know that there is a God, but we have the special revelation of God. We have what he has spoken about salvation, we have what he has spoken about the nature of man, the nature of the world. And this word is eternal. It is forever. There's nothing that God has said that has changed or will change. It is trustworthy. God's word is faithful. He's not a man that his word changes. I think another scripture that speaks about it um, is Numbers chapter 23 verses 90 where it says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and it will not and it will not Sorry, and will he not do it? Or has he not spoken and will it not fulf- and will he not fulfill it? The pastor has been speaking about the word of God as something which made my preparation kind of easy as well, thank God. Um, God's word is not as such that it just puts things into motion. It has power in and of itself. When God speaks, it happens. Not because, as the pastor said this morning, someone goes and gets the light and puts the light there, but as he speaks, things happen. And as this particular scripture pointed out, he's not a man that his mind changes. When God speaks um, in Genesis, there is nothing that changes about the nature of his absolute word in the New Testament. And and many people try to contrast the word of the Old Testament to the word in the New Testament as if there was a a different God in the Old than to the New. But we know that's not the case. God's word is eternal and immutable. It is powerful. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. We as believers need to be encouraged by this. We need to be encouraged by the fact that God's counsel will stand. We live in a world that is ever changing. We live as people who change. We are not faithful as God is faithful. We, although we sometimes speak very convinced of ourselves that we are convicted about things, our minds change very often and even if it is that we know our minds are not to change we act functionally as if they have changed but we can trust that God's word does not change and his counsel will stand and for us believers, this word works in us the word that works in believers how exactly does God's word work in us within the context of this scripture here now, as earlier was said the Holy Spirit would have had the word spoken with much conviction by the Holy Spirit to these people. We saw that um, in verses, sorry, in chapter 1. But I have a few other ways that the word of God works for us and through us as believers. It saves us. Um, you have been born again, not by seed, which is perishable, but imperishable. It teaches us, we see, all scripture was given for, by inspiration of God and is popular for teaching and uh, for reproof. It is a lamp unto our feet. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path, and it sanctifies us. Um, Jesus prayed that his, his truth is sanctify us, that his word is truth. The Thessalonian church recognized the, the word of God to be what it truly was. And 
I want for us first to be warned um, before I say some encouraging words that we need to, to accept it as it truly is. Whether or not we're looking from a reform perspective or a meaning perspective, uh, many of us would have come across, I don't think most of us were reformed before we were meaning, but many times um, when we come, we're confronted with some of the truths of scripture, it's hard to swallow, it's hard to accept. And if not for a, con- a conviction that the word of God is what it truly is, there will be no need for us to accept it. If it is that we had a liberal understanding of the scriptures, that it was a type of infallible, you could pick and choose, there are some parts that are inspired, some parts are not inspired, we can kind of dismiss some of the harder truths of the word of God. But from the time we accept and understand that the word of God, um, the word comes from the word of, sorry, that the words in the scriptures are the word of God, um, there's a, a reality that we must submit and confess those truths as they are. The word of God is to be submitted to, is to be obeyed. And this is where one of the other warning comes from. Um, we as believers... I think the pastor would have mentioned it just now as well in the confession and prayer. We can approach the truth in such a manner um, to be indifferent towards it. We could ignore it. And we need to fight hard as Christians not to be inclined to do this. Another thing that we do as believers is that we often neglect to imbibe the word of God. And I have to confess this as well. When it comes to the application of, of this scripture as CRBC Church, as those who hear in this scripture, we need to pray to God that when we approach the scriptures, when we read the scriptures, that we would desire it more and more. It is, it is difficult to sustain a spiritual life. Not difficult. It is impossible to sustain the spiritual life if it is that we don't imbibe the word of God. Um, the only way that we are fruitful as believers is if we imbibe the word of God and have our minds renewed by it. And the scripture says so and confess to itself. We are changed and sanctified by the truth of the word of God. But something else the pastor said that I wanted to say, um, that you taking my sermon tonight, was that I personally, when I was reading this and studying this, was kind of discouraged and felt bad. I saw my inadequacy in taking the word of God as it was. I saw my inadequacy in taking the word of God seriously. I saw how my performance lacked. Um, when you see all the different commands, all the different indicatives, or imperatives rather, um, how we're supposed to do things. When we look at our lives, we see how we don't imbibe the scripture, how we can speak the lofty theological jargon and words, but yet our hearts are far from it. We can be discouraged and, and begin to look at our performance and question our salvation or just be miserable as believers. But we need to be encouraged by the fact that the word of God does not have power because of us. Even in my weak, feeble preaching right now, the power that comes is not from Kamar's eloquence, because he's not. It is not because of any superpowers that I have in the, the anointing, as it were, that I have or come from myself at least, but from the Holy Spirit, from God Himself. The Word of God is effectual and powerful in doing what it does because it comes from Him. His Word does not return to Him void. So although I want us to be encouraged, I want us to be convinced and convicted and to repent of any indifference that we have towards the Word of God and not accepting it as it is or entrusting in man's Word as we often do. Um, 
I want us to recognize that we do not have to trust in ourselves, in our weakness, in our fragility, but to rest in God, to rest in that ultimate word, Jesus Christ. Believers, we have a hope and a trust even in our weakness, which is God. And for unbelievers, those who are yet to trust, who are yet to be convinced and convicted of the word of God, who are yet to see the scriptures as what the Thessalonians saw it as. There is only one hope. There is, there is only one thing that saves us. And the only place that we know of this thing is from the scriptures. We need to be encouraged. We need to tell those unbelievers that we have in our spheres to, to trust in Him, to trust in God, to trust in His Word. There are a lot of skepticism in the world and a lot of moral relativism, a lot of relativism when it comes to the objectivity of truth. We live in a time and in, in an era where um, to speak in bold terms about objective reality is to be arrogant, um, is to think we know it all, is to be somebody who's a big headed person. But we need not to have an idea of humility that is false in that to speak in, in questionable terms, to speak in, in terms of not being sure about something is to be humble. I think some of us could feel as if we question our beliefs or if it is that we speak less dogmatically, we seem humble. Um, that is not the case. The word of God is truth, it is objective and we need to speak it with the authority and with the, the type of conviction that it demands of us. So I want to encourage us tonight um, to, to reflect upon the scriptures, to reflect upon the Thessalonians' response to the, the, the word from Paul and Timothy and Sylvanus, that they would have accepted it as it truly was. Not to simply be lip service to the convictions that we say we have about it, about who he is, but a life that would be directed as such. I want to pray for us as a church that we would continue, as was encouraged before in previous sermons, to be like the Thessalonian church, to seek to reflect these same characteristics, the conviction and, and the lifestyle that reflect it, not to functionally be unbelievers in our disbelief and behavior. That wouldn't simply be a profession of faith, a profession of the belief that it is the word of God. But when our lives are looked at by people, it will be seen. And how we actively behave, and also how we trust. So, when we are outside living, our, our lives will be directed by the word of God. And when we are alone in the privacy in our hearts, the privacy of our hearts, it wouldn't be our performance that we trust in, as so often is the case. But there is a... a, a a hope and a resting and a trust in the word of God.